source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 83. I am your host Dustin and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are bringing you the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the past month. As well as some listener Q&As, talking about some various different things that have happened in the past month. Um, So there is not as much news and you are actually being able to listen to the episode about a week earlier than normal. Specifically because we want to try to get the news for the month out a little bit sooner. So in the future, the episode will in fact be posting the first Friday of the month rather than possibly the second Friday of the month as it has happened in the past. So just be sure to be looking out for the first Friday of the month for the first episode from the the normal cast every single month. Alright, so let's get straight into movie news. Tonight's forecast... A freeze is coming. There is not a whole lot of news in general to cover, as I mentioned. Last month, we talked about Lego Batman the movie. We we mentioned that the premiere was actually going to be happening in February. Well, it did, in fact, happen, and our own Steve Rogers laid it out to the premiere in New York City. You can check out his report over on the website. But what we did talk about last month was we assumed that because the premiere was actually happening in February, that the movie was actually releasing in February. But as it turns out, this movie is actually not releasing until May. I have absolutely no idea why the world premiere was so early, but during Steve Rogers' report, he actually stated that the movie is slated for release on May 21st for Blu-ray and DVD, as well as streaming and downloading. So, realistically, who knows exactly why they had the premiere three months ahead of time. I don't understand that. But based off of what he reported on, the movie actually seems a good movie. So I guess I'll have to hold my judgment until the movie actually releases. I think it's really interesting that John Burton, who it says is no relation to Tim Burton, drew so heavily on the two Burton films and actually paid homage to the Danny Elfman score. As those are, that's something that's really big that I do remember from when I actually watched those movies. They might be putting it on TV. I know they did that with the last two Lego films. So I wonder if they're going to do the same again, and we might see it turn up on Cartoon Network first, and then get a DVD release. And they didn't know until recently that they wanted to put it on TV. Well, they do have the open time slot on the DC block. That's definitely for sure. Either way, if it is going to end up airing on TV before it actually hits stores, we will know about it before it happens because DC and Warner Brothers will be sure to notify everybody of it, just as they did for the Robot Chicken special last year. I am positive that they'll inform everybody and their brother that it is going to air before it actually airs. Alright, so that is all the movie news. We don't have anything else to report as far as that goes. 
But moving into TV news. But five men against one girl is ridiculous. Oh, I'm enjoying this. Don't bother. Don't bother to return the many favors you've done for us back here. Mash them! We do have three episodes of Young Justice to talk about that have aired. We already talked about in the last episode, Runaways, which aired February 2nd. But on February 9th, we had an episode called War. Basically, the most brief synopsis that I can give is that Mongol is manipulated by Vandal Savage to taking some action against the Reach. He gets into the war world, goes after Earth, and says that if Earth welcomed the Reach to Earth, then Earth has to pay for it. And in turn, in order to stop Mongol in the war world, the Reach actually has to send out their hidden fleet that was underneath the water that they've been telling everybody they didn't have in order to help defeat the Reach along with the Justice League. And then at the end of the episode, it is revealed to the group that Blue Beetle is in fact turned over to the Reach and everyone is taken captive except for Arsenal who escapes. So what do we think of this episode? This episode... I enjoyed it. I loved the appearance of the Justice League in Trial. I loved the snide little jokes all the aliens were making at their expense. But it seemed to me that this could have been mashed together or shortened and put into another episode because other than the fact that this is what really exposed Blue Beetle and introduced the war world, which comes into play as almost a prison... Not a whole lot happened. And I was really surprised that they chose to have Blue Beetle freak out the way he did and just turn on everybody. It seems to me he would have been a lot more useful to the Reach as a secret agent for a bit longer. But I did love Arsenal's reaction, Roy's reaction, when they were trying to cage him again and he just freaked out and was like, nope, not again, I'm out of here, see you guys later. I thought the the trial scene was quite a nice nod to the... Justice League episode where John Stewart goes on trial and there's sort of some nice in-jokes there and some nice similarities that were quite good. But like Melinda, I didn't think a lot happened in this episode. Much of it seemed pretty pointless. Mongol turning up, I don't really know what a big effect that's going to have, but I don't think it's going to be a huge one. I don't really understand why Blue Beetle took out part of the Young Justice team. Yeah, as as good as they are, I don't think that they're the major threat. I don't get why he wouldn't go after the Justice League first. They're the, the, the full-blown superheroes. They're the ones who are the most threat to the Reach. And it would make much more sense to take them out and then use that destruction to take out the Young Justice team all in one go, rather than leaving a few bits and pieces untied and, you know, the the Justice League still running around. Yeah, the thing with this episode was it felt as if it was almost a filler with the whole Mongol thing, because really I didn't really understand it. Although what was interesting is when... You compare Vandal Savage trying to manipulate Mongol into going against the Reach and Mongol going and doing it, 
it's interesting because that shows that the Light and Vandal Savage are not really keen on the Reach's presence on Earth in the first place. And I don't really think, to to me at least, it seems as if that's really been explored. We'll see in a, another episode that we're going to discuss here that is happening as well, but to me it almost seems like that's the first inclination that the Light could be possibly going up against the Reach and possibly even teaming with the heroes. The other aspect of this was the, the whole Mongol thing. It, it could have essentially been a whole lot of different characters that, you know, are, are the type of character who wants to take over a world and things like that. It wasn't really delved into as much as why Mongol hates the Reach as much other than just, you know, he doesn't like the Reach because they try to take over planets like himself. So, I mean... To me, I wish there was that was explored a little bit more. But overall, I mean, the the big big thing that happened in this episode happened in the last couple minutes, where Blue Beetle reveals that he's actually under the control of the Reach, and the entire team is taken out by Blue Beetle. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the only people who actually weren't involved in this capture was Nightwing. Miss Martian, who is still on the ship with Aqualad and Artemis, and that was basically it. Arsenal gets away, but I mean, for the most part, everybody is pretty much taken out. I do have to agree, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why they wouldn't go after the Justice League, and they specifically focused on the Young Justice team, because to me, it just seems as if, as was already said, what you know, wouldn't the Justice League pose a little bit more threat? They were the majority of the people going after the war world when the war world was attacking earth and even though they weren't able to successfully stop the invasion in the first place by the war world they needed the assistance from the reach they were doing a pretty significant job and while the entire young justice crew was on the ship so great for young justice to take out the ship from the inside but for the most part earth was saved from the majority of the launches that was taken at them by in fact the justice league so yeah i have to agree with that all right so then the next episode was called complications it aired on february 16th nightwing arrives on warworld to inquire about the team's disappearance blue beetle covers his tracks and then later on it's revealed at the end of the episode that blue beetle is in fact being publicly praised by the reach ambassador leading nightwing to believe that in fact Jaime has turned on the team. The main part of the episode took place on Black Manta's ship. Artemis, Miss Martian, and Aqualad have been working together. Um, as it turns out, Sportsmaster and Cheshire go to take out Black Manta and Aqualad, but they are, it is revealed to them from Miss Martian that Artemis is in fact still alive, and they they actually work together to kind of make it so that Miss Martian can escape without having to worry about getting killed. Meanwhile, Aqualad is brought back to his consciousness, and he then is working again, going back into his deep cover, Black Manta, by the end of the episode. So what do we think of this episode? I enjoyed this one a lot more. I've I've really enjoyed the parts of the season that focused on Artemis, McGann, Aqualad, like that whole storyline. It's obvious McGann still feels a lot of guilt and is is probably willing to die so that Artemis and Aqualad don't get exposed. I mean, she's obviously not really stoked on the idea, but she's willing to do it. I loved, loved the interactions between 
Cheshire and Sportsmaster and how it was very clear that he did not actually care about his daughter. He was doing this for his reputation and his reputation alone, whereas Cheshire was definitely there to say, you know, no, I like I want vengeance for my sister. I thought that was really excellently executed. I liked the way that they chose to expose the fact that Artemis was still alive by using her memory. I just really, in general, enjoyed this episode, especially the end where Nightwing sees the little blue beetles, or what I assume are blue beetles, crawling on the bird orang and realizing what that actually means. This, I thought, was just great. Again, I kind of felt this episode really felt like a lot of filler. Aside from the Nightwing part at the end where he discovers the Blue Beetles on the Birdarang, it didn't really feel like it progressed the story all that much, apart from saying Aqualad's all better. And we got to see a bit of Sportsmaster, which is always good fun. But beyond that, I didn't think... I took away anything that would would be meaningful, and I I certainly didn't leave the episode feeling like I had to tune in to see next week's episode. It felt like it was wrapping up a lot of loose ends rather than moving the story on into the final three episodes, to be honest. Yeah, I I don't think that it was... I'm not going to completely agree with that as far as it was mostly filler because I think that they did wrap up some questions and things like that, which I think they needed to do because one of the things that was kind of interesting is that if you actually looked at the dates that took place, they make a point back in, uh, I believe it was the episode where it's called The Fix, where Tigris intervenes before Simon can enter Caldor's mind and then they bring in Miss Martian. The date on that episode said April 9th. Okay, Complications is dated May 27th. So that's almost a month and a half later. And basically, you're telling me Miss Martian has been gone for a month and a half? That's the only thing. That I understand they, you know, they're doing this thing with the dates, but that was the one thing that kind of didn't make a lot of sense was how could she possibly have been taken captive for a month and a half? And she said that it was going to take a while, but Black Manta made it very clear that he didn't want it to take too long. So I have a very hard time believing that for a month and a half she just sat there doing nothing but working in Aqualand's mind. Nonetheless, I think that it's important for them to wrap up some of this, but knowing that there's not that many episodes left, it really has me wondering what in the world they're possibly going, how they're going to even wrap up more of these questions, because... I could see Aqualad and Artemis being revealed possibly by Sportsmaster to the light in order for the light to take Sportsmaster back. But besides that, I don't really see a whole lot of other things that could come from this episode. So take it what is your way. So the next episode, February 23rd, was called The Hunt. Basically, the episode has Lex Luthor encouraging the runaways from the episode we saw, Runaways, the four members, they are told by Lex Luthor to try to take out the Reach by saving the Young Justice team, and they take a boom tube up to War World in order to save the actual team. 
Arsenal intervenes and manages to free Mongol. Mongol takes on Black Beetle, and that's pretty much the only way that the team is actually able to escape. Deathstroke uses the confusion to snatch the key to Warworld, and then at the end of the episode, Nightwing tells Arsenal that he is no longer able to be on the team, and he is off, and in turn, the four youths decide to actually take Arsenal with them, and then they end their deal with Lex Luthor by destroying the father box and the computer that they had to connect them to Lex Luthor. So this episode, again, showed that uh, the light, because Lex Luthor is part of the light, is not very keen on the Reach, and that's why he encourages them to go after the Reach. The only interesting thing about this is that if Lex Luthor doesn't like the Reach, then why was he teaming up with them for the fertilization of the plants in Smallville? That was the one thing that I didn't understand when I first saw this. I think Lex Luthor, more than anyone else in the DCU, is arrogant. Like, he has arrogance coming out of every orifice of his body. I think that he truly thinks he can beat the Reach and whatever, you know, runaways or whoever he has to throw at them to do that, he's willing to do that. I mean, we know he has no scruples. So I think that, that to me makes sense, that he would team up with them to get their technology and to get their methods and, you know, learn to mind control people. Since watching The Runaways, I got really, really fond of the four of them, and I like that this episode focused on them and showed them... You know, repaying their debt at Lex's urging, but repaying it nonetheless, and then working together with Roy and finally taking him up and realizing that, yeah, we shouldn't be working for Lex Luthor. But to me, they seem very much at a loss. Like, they're not, they don't want to work with Young Justice, they don't want to work with Lex. So I'm wondering what's going to become of them. And I actually missed where Deathstroke took the key to the war world. But that, to me, is another example of the light saying, well, we need to sabotage the Reach now. They've helped us with our goals. They've helped us as much as they can, and it's time for them to go. I think, Lex Luthor, like you say about Selina, Kyle, Melinda, Lex Luthor does whatever is good for Lex Luthor and not for anybody else. And I think he's kind of wise enough to know that if the Reach controlled the world, they're not going to let him rule it. They're not going to hand him over Africa or, you know, whatever continent he wants to run it as he sees fit. And I think the same could probably be extended to the light by extension of that. They know that if the Reach succeed, they're not going to be around to see it. The Reach will achieve their goals and then they'll wipe them out so it's in their interest to to make sure that the reach doesn't achieve its goals and i wonder whether there's going to to be a big sort of team up at the end where we see you know lex luther the light working with the justice league with young justice as well to take on the reach and try and and stop them and also I wonder how much Earth is going, you know, normal people are going to play a part in that because we saw G. Gordon Godfrey uh, t- attacking the Reach and saying, well, 
when you turned up, you said you only had one ship, and all of a sudden this fleet appear from the sea. How many ships have you got left? And I think the Reach are starting to lose control. And I think it'll be interesting to see where they take this and what the ultimate end goal is going to be. I think this was a lot better episode. Yeah, I did forget to mention the G. Gordon Godfrey thing, which was kind of interesting to see him, of all people, turn on the Reach so easily. And it just shows that he isn't necessarily has his own agenda as far as he just doesn't like the Justice League. His agenda is that to show, no matter who it is, they have secrets. And that's what he did when he showed everybody that the Reach had those ships in the sea. It shows that he's not necessarily just all about bashing the Justice League. He's a true journalist, and he wants to get the story as much as he can. So... I thought that was pretty good, too. So those were the episodes of Young Justice that aired. The other real quick thing to mention for this month, on February 23rd, there was a short on DC Nation called DC Nation Farm League. I've seen some of these in the past, but this one specifically had a number of characters that were based off of characters from the Batman universe, including Batman, Catwoman, Joker, and Two-Face. So we do have a clip on the YouTube page. Check it out. So with that, that is all of our TV news as far as merchandise news goes. It's Batman like you've never seen him before. Wow. Hey, Joker, a battery surprise. Miss me, Batman. That jet wings out fire. I never run out of tricks. You'll need them. Batman, the Dark Knight collection, each sold separately. As we talked about in the last episode, Toy Fair did happen, and while there wasn't as much information that came out at Toy Fair as we expected, we do in fact have the first look at Mattel's 1960s Batman toys. The first images arrived at USA Today and Entertainment Earth, and we in fact do have four different things that they have shown off so far. An Adam West Batman, a Riddler penguin as well as a batmobile that will also be in the same scale the batmobile will be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60 dollars despite my not liking of this batmobile i still will be picking this up because i collect these action figures and i think the batmobile is is quite awesome especially if they can actually fit inside of it so we do have all these pictures up over on the website, head over to Merchandise News. It is, in fact, the only Merchandise News we do have posted for the month, so be sure to check that out. Penguin creeps me out. He's, like, I recognize it's the penguin, and but he's all torso and, and very little legs, but no paunch to sort of justify the fact that he's all torso. It's, it's a little disconcerting to look at. So the... the- the, the only figure I don't like out of them is the Adam West one, which looks really quite creepy. His body's really muscular, and then he's got Adam West's sort of round, chubby head on it, and it it doesn't quite look right. I, I was hoping that they'd go for a bit more of a realistic look, but obviously not. Okay, so then the other thing about merchandise is if you have not been over to the website in a while, we do in fact have... We have partnered with Rob's Rogues. He is a video reviewer over on YouTube, and he, in fact, will be reviewing a number of different merchandise pieces, action figures, and things like that over on the website. And he posts a video almost every single day, so there's going to be a ton of merchandise editorials coming to the site very, very soon. Um, While you're listening to this, we should have actually already started to post some of his videos over on the website, 
and he has done multiple different reviews and currently is in the middle of doing a review for a number of the Batman the Animated Series toys from the 90s. So he not only does the the current stuff, but he also does the old stuff too. So there's also a review for the Batman Unlimited series, Superpowers Penguin as well. So his reviews are very thorough, and I think they're great. And you can now find them over on our website under the editorial section for merchandise. So definitely check that out. The next news we have, we go over to video game news. This is Awesome Sauce! At long last, Batman the Brave and the Bold video game! It's even better than my fifth dimensional imagination dreamed! Except I can't get past the Science Island episode! Ah! A couple of different things for the month of February. All of them relate back to Injustice Gods Among Us, except for one specific thing related to the new Arkham game. Injustice Gods Among Us has been doing a number of different things where every single week they reveal a number of different characters battling against each other in what they're calling the Battle Arena. And at this point, they have had three different weeks that they have done, and they are setting it up to try to figure out who is the the ultimate champion between all of these characters that they have. New characters that they have actually revealed in the midst of this battle arena is they actually revealed Aquaman and they have also revealed Green Lantern in the game as well so definitely check out the websites they every Monday there are the new videos announcing who's going to be fighting off and they're actually having a contest where basically if you just submit a vote you are entered into a sweepstakes to win some awesome prizes all the details can be found over on the website but the most interesting news actually came on February 12th. There was a investor call between Time Warner and their investors, and the CFO of Time Warner, John K. Martin, announced that there was a new Batman Arkham game that is planned to release later this year. His exact words were, And we also have a strong games release this year, which will include the next release of the Batman Arkham franchise. So all in all, we expect Warners to post another very strong year in 2013. And with a little luck, the year should be as good or maybe even a little bit better than 2012. So, hmm. A new game coming this year in 2013. I find that extremely hard to believe since we've heard absolutely nothing about it. In Justice Gods Among Us, they started... Hyping that game at E3 last year, which was almost a year before its release. We are well before the end of 2013, so I have a very hard time believing that this game is coming in 2013, despite those claims. At this point, if that game is in fact happening, I doubt that Rocksteady is actually developing the game, which concerns me because I believe that they were one of the strong reasons of why the game was so successful in the past, or the last two games were so successful because of the amount of work that they actually put into those games. So what do you guys think? Like you, I think that Rocksteady was a huge contributor in the success of the games. What actually concerns me is the wording of what was said, which will include the next release in the Batman Arkham franchise. So to me that says there's something A happening after this, this is not the final release, which they would be very clear to say, but it makes me wonder if it's you know, not necessarily as big a game as the first two Arkham titles, if maybe it's a smaller game, 
I, I'm not sure what platforms it would be released on. Like, obviously, it'll be released on popular ones, but it makes me think that this is the lack of press for it makes me think that it's a smaller game. It's it's being rushed out into production, and rushing things always concerns me because if you want it to be good, you take your time with it, you make it good, and then you release it. I did have the same thoughts as you guys, um, but then PlayStation announced that they'll be releasing the PlayStation 4 at some point this year, and presumably we can expect the next Xbox to come along. And then it kind of all, in my opinion, clicked into place in that I think that this Batman Arkham game has been in development, but for the PlayStation 4 and for the next Xbox, which would explain why we haven't heard a lot about it. And it makes sense that they would release it alongside a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox 360 because they need a strong group of launch titles to go with the game's console. All too often we get games consoles that are released with a bunch of really terrible games and you have to wait sort of a year or so before they release all the hard-hitting games. Especially in the UK, if they could release it alongside the next FIFA football game or soccer game, then that's two very, very strong titles that they can bundle the console with and they can ship them out and, and they will f- fly out the window with, with those possible combinations. So I, I wonder whether that's where we're going to see the next one. We won't see it on PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360, but it will be launched with the, the newer stuff. And I guess that's a possibility as far as them being able to release that as the launch, uh, you know, as launch games for those systems. The issue that I have with that, though, is that they're doing the game a disservice by just making it a launch game for the PlayStation. And that's why they and that's why they haven't really announced it is because they're just waiting. My prediction is going to is that it's it might be actually a downloadable game similar to what they do with Gotham City Imposters. It is in fact a prequel to the Arkham games, like they've said in the past, and it does deal with a lot more of the Justice League. But in fact, it's made on a much smaller scale than those previous games, and isn't nearly as expensive and is a downloadable only game, similar to like what I said with what they did that. That way, it still plays into Batman Arkham and adds to what they've done, but doesn't ruin the franchise by having a different studio develop this the game and actually release it so soon. So that's my predictions for that. But as for that, that that's all of the video game news we had as well. As far as general news goes, there was absolutely no general news for the month of February. So with that, we're going to get into our listener Q&A. <laughs> first one we're going to talk about is in fact a number of different questions that were posed over on the website. There was a couple of different points that uh, were made by Alex. We're going to go through his and talk bit by bit about his actual thoughts. So he says, I thought The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 was excellent. I thought that they really stepped up their game and it's my favorite of the new animated movies. 
I was really underwhelmed by part one, but maybe it was because I was such a big fan of the first half of the book. However, I liked part two more than the second half of the book, which I wasn't as high on. The only problem is, is Peter Weller. He sounded like he phoned it in, and I think because it was more action-packed, I could enjoy the Batman scenes much more. It helps having less dialogue. I really liked Michael Emerson's performance as the Joker. So I think we've already established that we pretty much agree pretty much wholeheartedly with what he has stated about the Dark Knight Returns as we talked about in the last episode. So next he starts talking about Young Justice, and he spends a lot of time talking about Young Justice, so we'll go through this. Ice School Junior was all you saw too. I think I saw a couple of Aquamans in the mix, but that was it. Mattel is awful at putting out figures. Apparently, only half of the 6-inch figures made it to stores, and they come with some gimmick price at $25 a piece. Who were they selling to? Although the toy situation was awful, it's a shame that Young Justice had so many things going against it. I don't watch Cartoon Network other than for Young Justice and Green Lantern, but apparently their advertising isn't very good for anything except Adventure Time and Regular Show. So first, I want to address that. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't hardly ever watch Cartoon Network. I mostly watch Cartoon Network for Young Justice and Green Lantern as well. Um, Every once in a while, I will be flipping through the channels during the weekdays when they have some of the more classic shows like the older Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, so that my son can watch them. And when the commercials are on, the only commercials you see for any of their shows that they have is, in fact, a Vegger Time and Regular show. There is absolutely no other commercials that I have ever seen on, uh, for any of their other shows except for their, that one live-action show that they have as well. But ag- I agree, they do a horrible, horrible job at advertising their shows as well. I skip commercials, so I'm not really sure how Cartoon Network deals with advertising, but it seems to me that they have not done a good job of advertising other shows if that's all that people are seeing is those other two shows. That's that's really a shame. They're doing a disservice to all of their programming, not just the DC block. Yeah, I think Cartoon Network have been resting on its laurels for, well, I'd, I'd say probably 10 years, pretty much since the 90s. But they just uh, they don't seem to have any attempt to advertise anything, and they seem to sort of have this opinion that because it's Cartoon Network and because it's so big, it'll be fine, and everybody knows us, and everybody tunes in for our programming all the time and that's a really worrying thought to have and to take because you will get quickly found out by the competition yeah and the other thing that i find interesting is that there was actually a couple different days i've noticed this where in the middle of the day when they have the generic shows not their star shows but their generic shows from the past on they will actually play the exact same episodes within hours of each other. And I didn't believe it until I saw it for a third day in a row where they were playing episodes that played just a couple hours before that, and this was for shows like Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes. And I kept thinking to myself, how in the world do they... Po-? And I, maybe it was just an off week, maybe the, someone screwed up putting, you know, making the scheduling or whatnot, but... I just couldn't believe that they were playing the same shows and instead of playing reruns of other shows. You know, we have all of the DC shows that have come out that, maybe not Cartoon Network, but one of the companies within the large being that is Warner Brothers has rights to actually, syndication rights to play. 
I know for a fact that on the CW on Saturday mornings, they have a block of television where they play old episodes of Just League and Just League Unlimited. And I, I just have to wonder to myself, why doesn't Cartoon Network do this? There, for a while back, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was. This was before the whole Disney bought Marvel thing. But there was a point where I believe it was Disney XD was playing some different older episodes of the animated series as well. I just don't remember exactly which ones. But in my opinion, it's just... And I know right now The Hub, which is another TV station which isn't that old, pride themselves on airing a ton of the superhero cartoons you know, throughout the day and things like that. So it, to me, it just it bewilders me that Cartoon Network has basically just gotten away from all of these shows that have such a huge fan base and instead feel a necessity to play reruns. But anyway, Alex continues and says, I like Young Justice and watch it every week, but I have some issues with it. Until recently, I found the overarching storyline generic and I thought it was poorly paced. They kept dragging small plot points throughout the series that weren't that interesting and teased them for so long until I, I didn't even care about them. Instead of answering a question, they replaced it with throwing in another five characters, hurting the characterization more. I think there's a lot of bland voice work and the humor misses a lot for me. Is that whelmed joke supposed to be clever? These last few episodes have been all all been great, and if they kept this quality, I'd be happy. Although I disliked the art style, and it had a lot of humor that was aimed at kids, Teen Titans as a whole is my favorite of the DC animated series. It's the only TV show I was able to marathon through, besides Breaking Bad in 24. If I was to make a top 25 episodes of DC Animated Series, the majority would be Batman the Animated Series, followed by a few Justice League and Superman the Animated Series, However, watching a series in its entirety, I like Teen Titans the best. Over the past couple years, I went through the entire DC Animated Series, which included watching Justice League and Teen Titans for the first time, and if I was to give an average rating of the episodes, Teen Titans went out for me. I really liked the character development, the overarching storylines, the dynamic between Robin and Slade, and felt that whatever tone they aimed at, whether it be dark or silly, they accomplished it. I feel the same way about Justice League, except the episodes had pacing issues, which they fixed for Justice League Unlimited. The creators of Teen Titans' intent was to make a show that was aimed at a younger audience than Batman the Animated Series, and I think they succeeded in making a great show for kids with lots of extra depth for adults to appreciate. Although I didn't like the art style, they did a lot of creative things with it, taking advantage of the complexity, unlike Green Lantern's bland CG. It was also great getting original takes on characters most people are unfamiliar with. I was just reading Marv Wolfman's Teen, new Teen Titans run and made it me appreciate the series even more. They had fresh takes on the classic stories, which was great for fans. Young Justice fails a lot of times for me when they attempt to add depth to characters. I can't take any dramatic scene serious with Lagoon Boy explaining Neptune's beard. And the worst catchphrase of all... Well, which completely ruined the series, the scenes for me was "Hello, Megan," and he, the, he he then provides a YouTube link to Hitler exclaiming how much he hates the phrase "Hello, Megan." Then he said, "I never thought I'd say this, but I agree with Hitler." I think the show has gotten much better with the addition of Blue Beetle, as his episodes seem to have the best writing and tightest scripts in regards to the overarching story. Whenever they focus on specific characters, such as the episode with Wally delivering the heart for the heart transplant or with Roy's clone trying to find the real road, they produce their best episodes. Okay, so a lot, lot 
obviously to talk about there. So the first thing I want to say is I do agree with everything he said about Teen Titans as far as it being a great series. I originally thought that series would be utter crap after watching multiple seasons in a row. I really enjoyed the overarching storyline, and despite my hugest problem with the series, which is the art, the series itself has really good writing, which is something that I actually didn't expect when I started watching the series as a whole. I am not a fan either of the animation style of Teen Titans. To me, a lot of the episodes felt really silly, and it kind of wasn't what I wanted to be watching. I think at the time, maybe going back and rewatching, I would feel differently, but as it stands right now, I would prefer to have Young Justice on than Teen Titans, in large part because they have thrown a lot of characters at us. It's it's a great way to be introduced to the DC as a whole rather than just to a specific team like the Teen Titans. So to me, I don't feel like it's a fair trade Young Justice for Teen Titans, but I recognize that that's, that's because I'm more so interested in the whole universe and not just a team. I think if you're a kid, Teen Titans does work very well, but uh, you know, I, I'm like you, Melinda. It just, I, I would have young prefer Young Justice over it. Teen Titans, I found the artwork quite annoying, and I, I actually disliked a lot of the characterization in the episodes, especially with Cyborg and Beast Boy. I, I actually, I found them quite annoying, to be honest. I think Young Justice's issue is that. I think they knew that they were being cancelled and they've thrown as many characters in there as possible because that's what they were planning to do if they'd been given a five-season run. And so they've had to try and do everything that they would do in those five seasons in one season, which is why it can seem messy and why it can feel that there are so many characters being thrown at you at any one time. And I, I think that's a shame that, that that's been forced upon them by Cartoon Network. And, you know, I do agree that there is problems, especially Nightwing's character. He doesn't really do anything. And I'd, I'd have liked to have seen more development for his character a lot, lot more. He seems to turn up, say something, and then leave again, pretty much like a Dickens character. And that that can be quite frustrating, to be honest. All right, so... I think the the other thing to kind of talk about is with Alex's remarks is the point about the weird catchphrases that they necess- they feel the necessity to have. The first season, the catchphrase of the season was the Hello Megan. I never really understood it. I thought it was really stupid. It was extremely stupid up until that episode with the introduction of Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, where we find out that... Miss Martian is actually obsessed with a TV show called Hello, Megan, and that's where she gets her look for her herself. I thought it was a good way of, you know, showing where she got it from, but all those episodes leading to that episode, with her just saying it, it was extremely annoying, and I absolutely hated that phrase. Then second season started, and we heard Lagoon Boyne say Neptune's beard, and again... I don't get it. I don't understand why the, what the necessity to say it is. I just... I know that there's plenty of people out there who like to catch phrases, such as Stella, who for the longest time kept saying Neptune's beard over on the comic cast. 
But nonetheless, I can't stand those ridiculous catchphrases because to me, it just it dumbs down the dialogue by having them say ridiculous phrases. I'm not going to defend them because I don't like them either, but I at least understand Neptune's beard as far as a catchphrase go. He's some sort of water superhero. Neptune, obviously being the god of water, it's no different than one of us saying, oh my god. So that to me... I was like, okay, I get it. I don't like it, but I at least understand it. I got it from that that sense. I I know I knew who Neptune was, and I figured out that it was probably that. But I mean, like, you don't hear everybody else saying, "Oh my god," or "Oh, this sucks," repeatedly over and over again. So I mean, that's the thing that's. Well, he's that drama queen. Yeah, I guess. Well, we've all got that friend who has a catchphrase that they keep bleating no matter what the situation is i guess i don't have enough friends <laughs> oh, i was gonna say we get rid of those friends uh yeah i they tend to s- stick around until i can hit them with a shovel and bury them in my basement you know it's things like people say like what's it now yolo and in the 90 in the early 2000s everybody was saying what's up from the budweiser adverts so i think it you know like you guys i can kind of understand why he says it because well apart from you two we all have sort of friends like that or we know somebody who keeps parroting a catchphrase but i do agree it is quite annoying and they they seem to have dropped it quite quickly again thank you alex for sending your comments about the episode so next one this one is this one we have comes over through email and it specifically is a email for john and it says Hey guys, I sort of have a question. So John says he likes Tony Daniel. Then why does he constantly refer to him by the wrong name? It's Daniel, not Daniels. No, that was probably just a slip on my part. Uh, I tend to, if I'm talking about someone and I'm talking about things like artwork and bits and pieces like that, I will, I will apostrophe S. So, you know, I'll say Tony Daniels characterization. But if, if I'm doing it outside of that, I do apologize that that is my mistake. I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. And that comes from another British guy himself. His name is Joe. Joe, I apologize for calling him Tony Daniels. I will from now on call him Tony Daniels. All right, so then the next question, and actually the last question we have, deals with kind of what we talked about briefly in the last episode as far as our our thoughts about Scott Snyder's work on Court of Owls. Joe over on the website said, I was wondering if what you thought about Death of the Family compared to Court of the Owls. So I'm going to reword the question just a little bit since Death of the Family has concluded as of this month, and that was really the big thing within the news world of the Batman universe. What I specifically would like to talk about here is what we all thought of Death of the Family. Just a general area of what you thought about it. So let's go with, John, what did you think of Death of the Family first? I really, really enjoyed this. I thought it was fantastic. Scott Snyder is at his best when he's writing psychological thrillers that are very reminiscent of the film noir genre and early horror films that that are very tense and very not action packed but 
that are very heavy mentally and and this was was one of those storylines it it was brilliant it wasn't action packed per se there were sort of a few action scenes but really it, it dealt with the joker's relationship with batman and how they affect each other and i i thought it was really fascinating and really interesting the way that, that snyder get gets the relationship between the two and it you know the writing was just perfect in every sense of, of the word and the art was was even better the joker was creepy and scary and brooding and menacing and it, it was wonderful to to look at and wonderful to read and i i was pulled along i was desperate to know who was underneath the platter what the joker had done what was causing so much horror i was a little dis- bit disappointed that there wasn't somebody under there or that the joker hadn't done something you, you know so horrifying to really make batman flip but the fact that that Scott Snyder had me believing that, and the artwork had me believing that. It is a testament to them both. I thought it was brilliant. It was absolutely incredible to read, and extremely taxing mentally to to sit down and reread all at once. The Court of Owls storyline, going to Scott Snyder's writing there for a second, I, I really enjoyed most of the Court of Owls, but I did not enjoy the the side stories that happened in the other books, that was not the case with Death of the Family. I mean, yes, I knew which ones I did and didn't have to pick up at that point, so that that certainly helped. But I think there was there was really, with a few exceptions, there was some really great communication between all of the writers and some obviously great direction from Scott Snyder to all of the writers to say, this is the end game. I need you guys to get your characters there. And I think he he did such a fantastic job of Joker just torturing Batman through this whole thing and and driving him pretty much to the breaking point. And I was I was kind of surprised at the end when you know Batman didn't end up killing the Joker. That to me was a shock. And I think that the fact that Scott Snyder was able to shock me with that action, with something that Batman, yes, has said he would never do, the fact that that came as a shock to me says that Scott Snyder really had me believing what was what he was trying to sell, and that was that Batman might actually end this. Okay, so if you haven't listened to episode 110 of the comic cast, you haven't heard my thoughts, but let's just say for most books that we review on the comic cast, we spend about uh, about 20 minutes from the time we recap to the time we finish our reviews and give it a rating. This book we spent just just about an hour discussing. And that's largely due to the fact that none of us really liked it. I when I, I read this uh I actually read it the night before it released to the public my comic shop and I was not super thrilled with the fact that nothing really happened. And then the worst part about it was as Monday proceeded and the day happened, there were some interviews that were posted up with Scott Snyder with various different news sources. And 
he basically stated that the reason why he didn't want to do something dramatic like you know, severely maim someone or kill Alfred was because he didn't want to leave a negative legacy on the Bat family. Well, here's my problem. It's called Death of the Family, which clearly references a story called Death in the Family, which is where Jason Todd was murdered by the Joker. That had severe repercussions for the Batman universe and the Bat family. This story which derives its name from a story that held dramatic repercussions throughout the entire Batman universe, has absolutely no repercussions. And we talked about this for a long period of time on the comic cast as far as the intent was to drive a knife through the Bat family so that they don't work with each other anymore. And that's what Scott Snyder actually said in one of his interviews, is that his intent was to break the trust between the Bat family so that they didn't want to work with each other anymore. The problem with that is, well, since the New 52 started, the entire Bat family really hasn't been working with each other to begin with. Yeah, we saw them all pop up in Court of Owls for that crossover, but outside of that, they don't really work with each other. We have seen Batgirl tell Nightwing and Batman to basically go shove it, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with them. We've seen Dick over in, actually, Batman say to Bruce's face, you know, I can't believe you didn't tell me about this Court of Owls thing. Why didn't you tell me my family was involved? And then Batman punches him in the face and knocks out the tooth. But they are discussing the fact that Batman does not always trust all of his information to them. We have not really seen Tim Drake involved with the Bat family at all. He's doing his own thing with Teen Titans. Jason Todd's doing his own thing with the Outlaws. Birds of Prey have little to nothing to do with the Batman books at all anymore. So, I mean, for the most part, really, what really changed here? The fact that now there's a reason for the writers not to have to reference Scott Snyder's work when whatever he's doing because they can all go do their own thing outside of Gotham if that's the need be because this knife has been driven between them. I find it extremely hard to believe that the knife wasn't already driven between them in the first place because from the very beginning, this this Bat family with the New 52 has been the complete opposite of everything we've seen in the past where they all insist on working together and you know working as a team. They just basically rely on each other when they need to because it's something that they can't handle themselves, which we saw before the New 52, but when they, that actually happened, they didn't refer to the, the Bat family. They referred to other heroes within the DC Universe. So let's just get a reaction to my thoughts real quick before I rant on for much longer. You were in full-on rant mode. I love it. I was going to say the very, very end of Batman 17, I think, is is setting the tone for what might come next. And I think that what happens within the next six months for the Bat titles will really be telling of whether this storyline has any lasting effect. Because you see them all, you know, they've all prepared to to spend the day together or some sort of family meeting that's supposed to happen. And one by one, everybody cancels, even Damien, who lives with Bruce. So I think that there's going to be the hesitancy to call on each other, even when there are threats that they can't handle on their own. I think that if this is handled correctly and if that sort of mentality continues with them, yes, this truly was the death of the family. This is where everybody says, you know what? Screw it. Bruce doesn't care about us. Bruce couldn't even be bothered to tell us about this. There, there was a line at the very end of Batman where... 
someone asks Dick what the Joker whispered to him in the dark, and he says, don't worry about it. So I'm, I'm very curious because some of the other books seem to seem to make it seem that that the Joker does, in fact, know who they are. Batman says he doesn't and doesn't care. You know, that might not be true. That might be what Batman wants to believe and what he has to believe to keep doing this. I think that the next six months of the, the different series will tell if this was actually the death of the family. But I think that that... That dissolution at the end of Batman 17 was the end game the whole time. Yeah, I think it's not so much driving a wedge amongst the Bat family for the reader. I think, and, and what makes the issue for me is that it's much more about Batman and the Joker's relationship and how the Joker sees Batman. And whilst as a reader we might st- you know, like, I do agree that there's not been that much crossover and interworking, except really in, in the Batman series where Scott Snyder's done a great job of integrating, certainly Nightwing at least, that the, there has been a lot of cooperation, but that really the Joker doesn't see it that way. And I think really this is a story through the, the Joker's eyes much more than it is a story through Batman's eyes. And... Like I said, the Joker sees them all as one big interconnected family. And that affects his relationship with Batman of how he sees Batman and how he associates with Batman. You know, uh, there's that end end scene in, in Batman 17 where Bruce is talking to Alfred and says, well, I turned up at Arkham Asylum and when the guards weren't looking... I put the Joker card against the the window pane and said, this belongs to you. And and the Joker didn't see me. He just saw Batman. And I knew at that moment he doesn't care who who is Batman. He just cares about Batman. And I think that's portrayed all the way through. The Joker doesn't care who Batman is. He just wants Batman alone to himself. And the Bat family, whether they, they are close or not, it is him having to share Batman with other people and he doesn't like that and he can't get past it, which is why I think it was such a brilliant storyline because it's not the Batman storyline, it's Joker's storyline. If you look at it from the perspective of it's not Batman's story, it's Joker's story, I could see that and I could agree with that. But uh, the biggest issue that I have is that, so it's the Joker's story, but we've, you know, we are left with the thought of, is the Joker, I mean, obviously, I'm sure the Joker is not dead, but he falls off the waterfall, they don't find him, and now what? That's the only thing. It's basically like, this was a, if this was a Joker story, why did it end with the Joker just being, you know, disappearing for God knows how long, like he did the last time we saw him? Oh, but because the Joker, I, again, this I think is in the, the end end bit where Batman says well I know who you are I know your name I know everything about you and the the Joker doesn't see himself as a normal person anymore he sees himself as the Joker and he's got an almost it is is to me an infatuation with the Batman and he wants the Batman to have it with the Joker not with whoever the Joker is and so for, for Batman to turn around and say, well, I know who you are and I'm going to tell you your name 
and it, it you know it shatters that illusion for the Joker and it's a massive mental knock you know I, I, I would put it on a par with you know losing a, a loved one for the Joker and I think that's why he's he's probably and and from what Scott Snyder said in the interviews is has disappeared is going to disappear for a year or so and then come back and and do something else and and to be honest that's not really that unusual for the Joker I mean we've seen it with at, at the end of RIP he disappears for a while and comes back as Oberon Sexton and 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 throughout the Batman universe he has disappeared for chunks of time gone away nobody's not been quite sure where he is and then come back again so uh, you know I, I don't think it's it's that unusual or, or to me that annoying i've almost come to expect that at the end of any major joker story he's going to go away for a bit and then whichever writer is feeling really confident and really high on themselves is going to bring them back that's kind of something that i just take to be fact for Batman writers. And that's a good point. All right, so then to kind of end this discussion, how would you compare your thoughts on Court of Owls to Death of the Family? Like, which one did you think was better between the two of them? Between the two of them, I would say Death of the Family was better. I enjoyed Court of Owls, but this to me seems like the story that Scott Snyder has wanted to tell for a long time or for a while at least. And he's finally getting the chance to, and to me, he executed it wonderfully. I think that there were some pacing and some communication problems with court of owls. And I, I think that it was a little bit overhyped. I did enjoy it, but I think it was a little bit, I felt like this one you know, the, the execution of it, the covers that they had for it, like the, the special cutout covers, all of that I felt really, really enhanced and added to to the story itself. So I I enjoyed this one a lot more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Death of the Family was, to me, the much better story arc than Court of Owls. Like I said, Scott Snyder writes best when he's writing psychological, dark, brooding storylines. Black Mirror being the the perfect example of something that is dark and that's quite scary. I was having a conversation with Joe from the comic cast and I agreed with, with what he said that Court of Owls just felt too familiar. Like we'd seen it so many times before. It's Batman's being pushed to his edge. I mean, effectively, that's just a byline now for most Batman titles. And, you know, the Court of Owls, I don't think are going to be around for very long or much longer. I can't see Talon really lasting beyond a year or two. And frankly, they could have just been replaced with the League of Shadows and told exactly the same storyline. And the bonus would have been we've got Ra's al Ghul. So I, I would plump for Death of the Family every time simply because it's... Scott Snyder at his best, I think. The deciding point for me is the the way that Court of Owls ended with introducing Owlman to current continuity, it, having the possibility of his brother having an actual brother, I thought that was a much better reveal than the reveal we got here, which was, oh wait, there was no reveal. 
and that and that's the biggest problem I had with this story was that you know all this hype between all of these other books only to find out that there was nothing under the platters except for fake faces and they didn't actually he didn't actually do anything to any of them and you know Alfred was jokerized but wasn't dead and I'm not saying I wanted the Joker to die I'm not saying that I wanted somebody to be horribly maimed what I what I'm saying is that it's just everything that was everything was being pointed to this is something big is going to happen here we are showing you for multiple months that there is something horrible underneath this platter only to find out that the thing under the platter is a fake and it was Joker bluffing all along like ha 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 that's a great joke not really so, I mean, that was my thing. The, the, at least the reveal of the Thomas Wayne Jr. being in uh, the end of Court of Owls, to me, that, that felt like a good reveal because it, regardless of whether or not the guy was actually Thomas Wayne Jr. or not, it left you questioning, you know, is it or isn't it? You know, is, you know, maybe it is and Batman's just trying to stuff this off. The problem is that the way that story ended and the way this story ended were almost the same way. He is completely sure that there is no way the Joker knows their identities. The other story, he was completely sure that there is no way that Thomas Wayne Jr. was actually his brother. So, to me, maybe this is leading to something even larger about the entire process of Batman just being so sure set on something only to be completely blindsided by something that he was so sure on and that he was wrong about. Maybe that's leading to something like that because I see that exact same thought in both of these books about how he is extremely sure on this specific thought only for him to only for everyone else to be questioning whether or not he's he's actually right or not so i mean i still think court of Owls had a better reveal and i think that in my opinion it was a better story because of the reveal or i don't like stories that have a great beginning and a great middle but then have a horrible ending so for me court of Owls takes the place because i like the ending better but the last question I want to ask is, do you think this will go down as one of the Joker's greatest stories? Now, obviously, it just happened, but would you be would you compare this to some of the greatest Joker stories of all time? Killing Joke, Man Who Laughs, Five Way Revenge, Going Sane. Could you compare it to those books? I think this might be considered one of the great Joker storylines. Again, depending on what happens in the next six months in comics, if that wedge is there, if we see, you know, Nightwing, who is the least afraid, I think, of asking for help. If we see him not not seeking Batman's help or not seeking Robin's help or, you know, just saying, I'll handle this on my own because that's what I am. I'm alone. If we see that kind of thing happen in the books, this could go down as a great Joker story. Because then it will have accomplished what the title says, the death of the family. But unless we see things like that, no, because there wasn't a big, long crossing the line. Like, there wasn't that big, Joker did this? Oh my goodness. Like, there's, there's not that within the actual story. I think it will. I, I wouldn't put it up there with the killing joke, certainly, but I would put it on a par with going sane. I think they're very similar in style and in how they approach the Joker storyline. They're both quite psychological and 
as I said, they're, they're both stories through the Joker's eyes and about his relationship with Batman. And I think that that will carry on. And I think, you know, there are plenty of Joker fans who will really, really love this story. I'm sure Apple is ecstatic with it. But I, I do agree. I think, you know, there could have been something at the end. Maybe the Joker could have shot Barbara Gordon and then they could have filmed Gail Simone's reaction and put it up on the internet. I'd pay for that. All right. All right. So that is all of our listener Q and A's. If you do want to know more about the last issue of Batman: Death of the Family, take a look at episode one ten of Batman Universe Comic Podcast, where we do review that. And then you can also hear the other views from Don, Stella, and Joe, as well as myself, at much more length, since we did talk about that for quite some time on that episode. So with that, be sure, if you want some listener Q&As for next episode, to send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or over on the website underneath the episode post, you can leave your comments there and we will also read through those. We do, in fact, have a much, a little bit more time between this episode and the next episode as there actually will be four weeks that will pass. So there is some time between then so you can actually get your questions in. But be sure to get those questions in as soon as possible. So that is pretty much everything for this episode. I just do want to say one more quick announcement. If you are interested in, in fact, being a co-host for the Batman Universe, we are looking for a co-host for the Batman Universe comic podcast, the uh, .5 episode. If you don't know what that is, it's basically we are going to be covering a lot more of the Batman Universe books by adding a .5 episode every single month. We review about seven books on that podcast. We have not actually recorded one of those yet because we are in need of one more co-host. So if you're interested in being that co-host, we will be recording that towards the end of each month, one episode a month. You'll be responsible for covering between two and three books individually similar to the exact same format that we do on the comic cast. So if you're interested in becoming a co-host and joining the lovely people over at the Batman Universe, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with your uh, contact information and we will get back to you as soon as we can. In addition to that, I just want to remind everybody, you can go over to the website to look up all the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, general, and of course the comic news as well. You can find all of our podcasts that we have to offer. Um, If you head over to the website, we do in fact have the commentary for The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 up on the website, as well as new episodes of the comic cast, Taking Flight, and while you're listening to this, there should also be a new episode of Batfans posted as well. So lots of different things for you to check out. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We do, in fact, have a a new thing that we are trying, and it is over on Facebook. We are looking to start a Facebook group. It's already been formed. We're in the process of building it up and trying to get it to work. But if you search the Batman Universe for a Facebook group, you'll find it. It is, in fact, open to everyone. Um, You do have to be approved to get in, just like the forums, but we're looking at this as a replacement to our forums and hoping to get some numerous different discussions going. So if you check out Facebook and search the Batman Universe for the groups, you should find us and we'll get you added and you can start talking with other Bat fans about all the various different things within the Batman Universe. 
So lots of different things going on. So that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you later. Your nightwear can't be as bad as mine when uh, you have to record three podcasts in a row. They all have to be re-recorded because of it. No. Oh, wow. No, I I woke up once from a night where, nightmare where the Joker had hacked the site, and we had to re-record every podcast ever. That uh, That's yeah. the only one I've had, <laughs> but it was, it was not great. I don't think it would ever get to that point if... Somehow the Joker hacked the site. You'd also have to hack my computer because I have all the recordings on my computer too. But nonetheless, I don't think if we lost everything that we would re-record everything. We did talk about legal Batman on the last on the last recording, but <clears throat> this is not good. Don't die on us. No, it's it's bad because like it went down the wrong pipe, <clears throat> and then it came up <clears throat> the other pipes. So now like there's that acid sitting in my throat. Ooh, yeah, I hate that. It's horrible. Oh, it's the worst. <sighs> have to have okay. some more water. All right, let's try this again. Acted. Then, oh, hold on, sorry, Mom, I'm in the middle of doing a podcast, so, um. I'll I'll do do lunch later. Sorry. Um, you better make a blooper reel for this one. This <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. I'm going to be on the blooper again. <clears throat> That's okay. I, m- me and my my uh, acid filled throat will also be on. I'm sure. So yes, yeah. We're going to have plenty of outtakes at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Yeah.